Ephesians chapter number 3. And if you're able, I want to invite you to stand with me for the reading of God's Word. <coughs> I appreciate folks being concerned about me recovering from this cough. And I, I have a handful of cough drops in my pocket. Sometimes I get so busy what I'm doing here, I don't think about putting them in. But I have them, <laughs> okay, <laughs> just so you know. So, uh, Ephesians chapter 3, and I want us to look beginning in verse number 13, if we may. Wherefore, I desire that ye faint not at my tribulations for you, which is your glory. For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that He would grant you according to the riches of His glory, to be strengthened with might by His Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height, and to know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. Now unto Him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us, unto Him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. Let us pray. Lord, we thank You for Your Word. And God, I pray that You would help us to glean the truth that You have prepared for us today, that we may leave here stronger, that we might leave here just a little bit more like Thee than we entered, that we might leave here today more acutely aware of the presence of God in our lives than what we brought to church. And Lord, I pray that You would fill us all with Thy Holy Spirit, Begin it in me, I pray, in the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. This morning I want to bring you a message entitled, A Prison Prayer. A Prison Prayer. Sometimes as you think about the ministry of the Apostle Paul, it's hard to get your mind around the fact that in a 30 and a half year ministry, from the time that he was brought to the Lord on the road to Damascus, all the way until his beheading in Rome, more than 30 years later, that six and a half of those years, the Apostle Paul spent incarcerated. He was a man that was tasked with one of the most daunting tasks that a person could ever have, and that that was to carry the Gospel to the entire Gentile world in his day. Without the use of the internet or radio or television or print media. Can you imagine knowing the calling that God had placed upon his life while sitting day in and day out behind bars and thinking about all those people who still had not heard? And yet, we know that all things work together for good to them that love God 
to them who are the called according to His purpose. And despite the fact that there could have been a spirit of frustration that welled up within the heart of Paul, feeling like maybe he was laid aside when he had such an overwhelming task to perform for the Lord, it was in those moments of time that words like we read today were penned. And God had a purpose in it all. And I want to tell you something as we consider a message titled a prison prayer. Paul did not feel chained by his incarceration. He wasn't stuck. He was free. And he took a difficult situation and he turned it around and he used it for the glory of God and for the advancement of His kingdom and His Christ. And I want to tell you that as I look back over the course of my life, I would like to say that there have been seasons of time where I suffered because I took such a courageous stand for Jesus. And, and if the Lord tarries His coming, I anticipate that that may happen. The sufferings that I have endured compared to what the early church had to endure are nothing. But there are times where I have found myself in a prison house of my own creation because of choices that I made that were outside of the keeping of God's will for my life. Have you ever been there or am I the only idiot in the group? How many of you have ever created a prison house that you had to spend a little time in? bunch of ex-cons here. <laughs> Just goes to show you that God loves everybody, doesn't it? I can remember one time I was sitting behind the bars of a prison house of my own making, and I was discouraged. And I was thinking, I'm laid aside, there's nothing I can do. And I was feeling sorry for myself. And I called my mother for some comfort. I'm thinking a little bit about my mom in the last few days. Um, I told my class that she always enjoyed a good peanut butter and jelly sandwich. And uh, so when I, whenever I see a peanut butter and jelly, I think about mama. And uh, she was a wonderful Christian. And uh, her birthday would be next week if she was still with us. And uh, But anyway, I was so discouraged, and I thought, you know, I don't even know who to talk to in the world right now that would give me comfort. And I figured, you know, you can call your mother and she'll always give you comfort, right? Well, that's, that's what you think. And I, and I called her up and she said, hi, honey, how's it going? I said, I'm not so good, Mom. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm having a hard time. I just need to talk to a friendly voice. And she said, well, tell me about it. And I began to give her the whole litany of what I was going through and why I just needed someone to, to feel sorry for me. And I was uh, scheduling a, a pity party and I was sending out an invitation for her to attend. And the fact of the matter was this, that I was hoping that maybe she would cry a little bit and say, oh, well, there, it'll be... You know what? Mama needs to come out and, and uh, make you a cherry cream cheese pie. And what Mama needs to do is come out and make you some pot roast. And I think I'll tell Daddy I'm going to come to your house and spend some time with you. And I thought maybe that would be what she would say. 
Or maybe she would share with me a good verse or a poem and she would pray with me and weep and I'd hang up the phone and want to go sit at the computer and look at pictures of kittens for the next few hours. But you know what she said? Son, you know what I think you need to do? I, need, I think you need to take what little money you have left in your wallet and you need to go to that grocery store down the street from your apartment. And you need to buy the ingredients to make some cookies. And you bake about 10 dozen cookies and you put those in Ziploc baggies and then you take your Bible and those cookies and you go to the closest nursing home in town. And you start going around and distributing cookies to all the people that are in that nursing home and then you open the Word of God and you begin to read God's Word and you be a witness to those folks that are in desperate straits and what you need to do after that is you need to go down to Skid Row with a bunch of tracks in your pocket and you need to find some wino or some dope addict or some prostitute and you need to tell them how they can be saved. And after you've done all that, then call me. I'm like, Mom? Is this this really my mother? (laughs) You know, I was hoping she was going to bake cookies for me. Right? I thought she was going to send literature to me. Because I was having a hard time. And what she was telling me is, listen... You may be in what you think is a prison house of your own creation, but the Word of God and your spirit is not incarcerated. And God still has a purpose and a plan for your life. And there are people, as rough as you think you have it, that have it far worse than you do, and you need to go find them and lift them up. And in the process of doing that, God will lift you up. You know what, too often we want to call mama or we want to call grandma or we want to call daddy or we want to call somebody to phone a friend for our lifeline so they will lift us up because, my friends, we think that that's the end all. But I'm going to tell you something. The lifter up of the downcast soul is the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, listen, I I think we just need to tell it to Jesus and we need to recognize that He wants us to sing as our life song the song of the soul set free and stop sitting around and pining away the hours in the prison house of our creation and recognize we are where we are by God's divine sovereignty and as difficult as it is and as hard as it seems, He has a purpose in that. Can I get a witness? How many of you have spent a little time in that prison house recently? Some of you are a little afraid to raise your hand. You don't want to, you don't want to expose it. But folks, I want to tell you something. Often hardship and solitude produce depression and sorrow. And yet in the case of the Apostle Paul, the reverse was true. You see, in respect to, this, to the fact that He never sensed the despair of his aloneness because he took comfort in the presence of the Lord. And this comfort that he took is revealed in his prayer for the Ephesian church and is something that believers in every dispensation should learn from. And I think we need to consider and examine the praying prisoner and learn the lesson that will lead us into the presence of the one that loves us 
and wants to use us to be involved in helping to lift others. And there are some keys that we can draw from this passage of Scripture. Um, folks, I'm, I'm just going to tell you something. Last week I mentioned that I often feel like I want to identify myself with John the disciple because he was that disciple whom Jesus loved and who loved Jesus. And, I, and it just seems to me like when you read about John and what he wrote about the Lord, that he was that quintessential person that had that loving relationship with Jesus. But in reality, I find myself identifying mostly with Peter, who was proud and impetuous, who was ambitious, um, who was deceitful, and who was a liar. And uh, God had to humble him before He could fully use him. And that's, that's my testimony. Sometimes people come to church and they, they look at a guy standing up there wearing a suit and, and, uh, and, and you know, given the truth and they think, you know, what does that guy know about real life? Someday I'll come to your house and we'll have coffee and compare scars. The fact that you may be sitting in church with the Bible in your lap and uh, nice clothes on doesn't mean that you have been immune to pain. It doesn't mean you have escaped hardship. There's not one person in this room that hasn't lost someone that they love. There's not one person in this room that hasn't seen their life frustrated by some turning of events that they never anticipated. There's not one person in this room that hasn't had a knife stuck under the fifth rib by someone they trusted and loved. Not one person in this room that has gone a lifetime without pain and hardship. And it's all relative. Sometimes we look at the pain of others and we think, oh well, I'd be, I'd be glad to trade places with them, but it's relative. You know what, maybe you've experienced more of it and God has equipped you better to deal with your pain. And you know what, they're less equipped to do so, and so a little pain for them is the same as a big amount for you. So we can't really sit in the seat of judgment over levels and degrees of suffering. It's all relative to you and God. But Paul was a prisoner of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want you to notice with me, first of all, and we'll move somewhat quickly here, the prison that he utilized, the prison that he utilized. Paul said in verse 1 of this chapter 4, This cause I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ for you Gentiles, You see, he identified the fact that he was a prisoner. And he wrote this from Rome while sitting incarcerated. (coughs) But though he was imprisoned in Rome, his spirit was free. I'm glad that he went to Rome as a prisoner. Not because he suffered, but because we get to enjoy the benefit of the epistle to the Ephesians. Because we get to enjoy the benefit of the epistle to the Colossians, that we get to enjoy the benefit of the epistle to the Philippians, my favorite book in the New Testament. I'm going to tell you something, my friends, that what was a prison house for him was just an opportunity for God to get the gospel to generation after generation. And the solitude that he experienced And he was rarely ever alone. He was mostly chained to a guard. 
At times he was under house arrest in one of the palaces, and it wasn't that he was living the life of luxury, he was not free to come and go, but he was chained to a prison guard. And yet, even though he was chained to a prison guard, there was a new one on every shift that came in. And here he thought, I've got a captive audience, and what a blessing for a soul winner to have a captive audience that was chained to him for the next eight hours and didn't have any place to go. I'd sure like that. Amen. Um, uh, sometimes I sit down on an airplane and if I'm flying to Asia, I know I've got about 15 hours sitting next to this person. <laughs> and God arranged this. And I wonder how long it's going to be before they flag down a flight attendant and ask if they can move to a different seat. No, I'm, I'm, normally, I'm normally asleep before we get off the ground. But when, we, when they feed us, I wake up and then I get, get busy. But uh, the, the fact is that, look, the solitude that he faced, and there were many long hours in prison, became an occasion to seek the Lord to a depth that human companionship might only obstruct. I was talking one day to Pastor Eckleberry. We were having lunch together at their home. And we were talking about the loneliness of the ministry. And how there are times where you just... There are things that you'd like to share, but you feel like you can't share. And sometimes you just, you're wrestling with aspects of spiritual warfare and, and not wanting to, to express that and be transparent with people for fear that they might lose confidence in your leadership or something because you're struggling in an area spiritually. And he shared with me that one day someone recommended a book, I believe that it was, and the title of that book was, the blessing of loneliness. The blessing of loneliness. Because let me tell you something, friends. It is most often when you are alone with God that you are never truly alone. And it is then that God will teach you the deep things of God. It is then when you will have to actualize the Sunday school lessons in your experience and appropriate the truth of God for yourself and discover that He is truly enough for you. That's rarely experienced in the crowd, yucking it up and carrying on and, and fellowshipping and eating fried chicken and brownies. Look, it's, look, I would like to say it's experienced then, but let me tell you that I have found in my own Christian experience, as perhaps you have, that when I am alone is when I best hear the still small voice of God. And though He does not speak to me audibly, He speaks to me through His Word and by His Holy Spirit, impressing my heart with the truth of God as to what His will would be for my life. And that is accomplished in the seasons of aloneness. There are some that raised their hand and said that they have been incarcerated in a prison house of their own creation, but there are many others perhaps in this room that would say, I have done time in the real prison house, or I've done time in Sheriff Joe's tent city. Or I've, I've been incarcerated, and I understand that. And you know, I've had the opportunity to talk to a good many people who have done uh, time behind bars. And you know, inevitably, when they have come to Christ, they tell me that those lonely, long times of solitude behind bars, of lockdowns and solitary confinement, is where God laid a hold of them 
and taught them some things that under other circumstances they would never have learned. And while they never would have chosen to be incarcerated, while they never would have elected for the solitude, it was nonetheless in the sovereignty of God what He ordained for their life. And it was a blessing. So we see the prison that he utilized. And secondly, notice the problems that he faced. Paul faced hardship for preaching the gospel. For preaching the gospel. And uh, he viewed himself as a prisoner of Jesus Christ. And I simply want you to understand this. Okay? We, in this world today, think about people that are incarcerated the world over for doing what Paul did. For preaching the gospel. And by the way, there are people now in countries all around the world who are sitting in jail cells simply for their Christianity. Are you aware of that? Okay, there are people in Laos, our missionary brother Aaron Inventor, uh, I've shared with you, had men that he has worked with that were assassinated by the communists in this last year. There are some who have been in prison. Linda and I have been many times to the, to the nation of Vietnam, and, and often there, there are people, especially up in the north, that are persecuted for the faith and many have been imprisoned. They're suffering for doing well and that is what persecution is. Suffering for doing the right thing. Now I want to tell you that we're living in a day where by and large the church of Christ in America, the American church, has no stomach for any level of suffering. We have no interest in even hedging on any behavior that might put us in harm's way. And I'm not saying be cavalier and just you know have some kind of a death wish, but you know what? We're just afraid to say anything at work about the Lord because we're afraid we might get turned into HR and get, get a pink slip. Or we're just afraid to talk to our neighbors and invite them to a Bible Sunday because we don't want them to think that we're Bible thumpers and they'll call the HOA on us because we've got weeds in the backyard. And you know, look, we, we, we have every excuse under the sun why we don't want to be inconvenienced and share Jesus with somebody. And folks, here are people that were suffering death, suffering flogging, a public humiliation, a suffering incarceration, because they simply preached the gospel of Jesus Christ. And folks, if church goes 15 minutes long, some people think it's the worst thing that ever happened to them. They feel like I'm coming to the, the, the prison house down at 8501 North Black Canyon Highway. He's going to hold me there until my, my sentence has been served. I must have been really bad. He held me an hour and 20 today. And uh, you know, I mean, sometimes we get this attitude and the fact of the matter is that when we come into a love relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, the problems that we face will seem, seem as nothing when we face them for Him. We face them for Him. One of the things that I often say is that not only are we living in a day where Christians by and large are unwilling to suffer for Jesus' sake, they are largely unwilling to be inconvenienced for His sake. To be inconvenienced for His sake. That's why I was so pleased when I, when I looked up from the season of prayer and I counted 14 people on their knees praying in the choir room before church started and, and before Sunday school started. And, and, and I thought, you know what? It was only 
you know, maybe 15 or 20 minutes earlier than most of them would have, would have come into the house of the Lord. But you know what? It was extra effort. It was an earlier hour. It took a little bit of overcoming and inconvenience to be there. But you know what it showed? A heart beating for God. Nobody that was there, I don't think, was there just to be seen. Just to win the approval of men, no. So, listen, we notice the prison that he utilized and the problems that he faced, but notice the posture that he took. Are you with me? Say amen. Alright, is air a little heavy? Is anybody sleepy? Alright, you say, I didn't get much sleep last night. I got a bad back. or I just took my medicine before I came in. and So, um, I'm not really sleeping. I'm listening, really. <laughs> I know. I, listen, I know that. Not. But, um, <laughs> look at the posture that he took. The Bible reveals to us here in verse number 14, <coughs> for this cause I what? Bow my knees. I bow my knees. What did he do? What did he do? I'm glad both of you are astute enough to figure that out, alright? He, he, he knelt down. He knelt down. Now, how many of you, when you're a little kid, um, you know, you said bedtime prayers with mommy, you knelt down beside the bed. Anybody do that beside me? And uh, then as I got a little older, uh, sometimes mom would tuck me in and then she'd, she'd hold hands with me and pray while I lay in the bed. And, uh, but you know what, I hope that we never really ever graduate from being in a position of humility before God. Now, um, I, I spoke to an august woman in our church who came to prayer meeting this morning who said, it's really hard for me to be on my knees for 20 minutes at a time. <laughs> Do you know, I listen, it's not easy for anybody. It's real hard when you when you have aches and pains. Anybody here have aches and pains? You don't yeah, sure you do. We're gonna have a healing service right now. <laughs> Job security around this place. <laughs> I'm just teasing, but 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 listen, we all have aches and pains. So I, I tell people, God wants us to fast. Now I gotta tell you. Two of my favorite things in the whole world to do are sleep and eat. Can I get a witness? And if somebody says fasting involves getting up early, I'm not down with it. And if somebody says fasting involves not eating, I'm really not down with it. Are you? But the Bible, in, in the words written in red, Jesus didn't say, if you decide that you want to get around to fasting someday. No, He said, when you fast. You see, He made the assumption that God's people would be doing it. Um, it's something that we are called to do as believers. You remember when the disciples could not cast the devil out of the, the demon-afflicted young man? And, and they asked the Lord why, and He said, This kind cometh not out, but by prayer and fasting. And sometimes when you have difficult situations, it calls for drastic measures like fasting. And I've seen God uh, do the miraculous through seasons of fasting. But you know what? I always have somebody come up to me and say, Pastor, I'm, I'm hypoglycemic. I'm like, thank you for that. Do you want to sign the HIPAA waiver? 
You know, is it okay to tell me that? Do you, you know what I'm saying? And good. Or I'm, I'm diabetic. And I'm like, okay, am I supposed to know that? <laughs> Do you need me to, you know, administer some insulin? What is it? You know, I'm diabetic. Oh, okay, great. Um, some people say, um, I, I don't do good not eating. <laughs> like, join the club. But you know what I tell people? I say, listen, you might have a health concern between you and your doctor and the Lord that doesn't enable you to be able to do traditional fasting. But you know what you can do? You can take the time you would ordinarily watch a game show that you enjoy and give that to the Lord in His Word and in prayer. You know what you can do? The time that you would normally enjoy reading the morning paper, you can give that time to reading the Word of God in prayer. You know what you could do? Um, instead of uh, taking a hot shower, take a tepid shower, but take a shower. Okay. Uh, because fasting is not just going hungry, it's afflicting the flesh so that you can be in tune with the Spirit. Um, I think you know that people that are blind have a more acute sense of hearing. And so, listen, what I'm saying to you is that, look, I, I realize that uh, sometimes when, uh, when we get down on our knees, it hurts and stuff. You know what God wants you to do? Find the place where you can spend some time with Him in a position of humility before Him. A position of humility. And you know what? Maybe laying flat on your back. Just looking up to heaven. That might be laying flat on your face. It might be kneeling down. Um, if you read Lamentations chapter 3, laying on your face is a pretty humble place to be. And so it doesn't have to be in, in, an, in a kneeling position. But Paul said, Lord, for this cause, and, and church, for this cause, I bow my knees. In other words, he, he knelt down. And I want to just say something to you about this. By kneeling, he was purposing to be mindful that he was in the presence of the King of Kings. There's nobody there. This morning I knelt down in the room. There was no throne in the room with a physical Savior on it in that room, was there? But was Jesus there? Was God there? Absolutely He was. He says, where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. As I begin to lift my, my heart in praise and bring my petitions before the Lord, I recognize that the psalmist tells me that God inhabits the praises of His people. And so whenever I lift my voice in praise, guess what? God is drawing near because He likes to hear it. He's there. And by the way, I'm just going to tell you, He's living in me. And He's in my heart by faith. And He's in my body as His temple. And He said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. So God is right here. And you know what? Sometimes what I need to do is even though I cannot see God, I cannot reach out and touch Him with my physical hand, I need to get my physical frame humble before Him because it is an acknowledgement in my spirit that He is here and He is real. Let me tell you something. You know what prayer does? It acknowledges something. You believe that God is. Why would you pray to somebody that doesn't exist? 
be an exercise in foolishness, would it not? And so when you get down to pray, listen, it says, I believe that God is, and by faith I believe that He's real. And what's more, I believe that He's good. Because when I come to Him, I know that He's going to lead me into all of His good will because He wants only what is best for me. And I have that conviction. I believe that He wants to answer that prayer and that He's able to do exceeding abundantly above all that I might ask or think. And so I get down on my knees to humble myself before the only one who can. And when I do so, I'm acknowledging by that humbled position, be it prostrated before God, be it on my knees, I'm saying, God, I am am in a position to acknowledge that you are here. You're here. Sometimes we just want someone to hug. I'm a hugger. I, I like that. I, I, I'm always hugging Linda when she doesn't want to be hugged. <laughs> When she's cooking and cleaning and stuff like that, you know. But uh, I, I'm a hugger, and, and you know, sometimes you feel I just want to hug. Give me a hug. Sometimes I'll come up to Linda, and she'll have. She'll have she, the other day she was she was cooking, and she had all kinds of stuff all over her hands. I'm like, come here, give me a hug. <laughs> she's like, go away. <laughs> Leave me alone for a minute here. I got stuff all over me, and uh, you know, I'm not, I just need a hug right now. But come give me a hug. You know, and and sometimes they think, listen, I want a God that gives me big bear hugs. My friends, I'm going to tell you something. Look, Listen, you, you don't half remember that He's even there and you don't want to hug until you want Him. And He wants you every moment to be mindful of the fact that He's here. And so one of the ways that we can acknowledge in physical presence that God is here in presence with me is to kneel before Him or to fall on my face before Him in prayer. And what Paul did was pray. And by his posture in prayer, we see that he acknowledged that He was in the presence of the King of Kings. And we too must be mindful that we can enter into the presence of God within our spirit. And kneeling helps us to embrace that spiritual truth. Because otherwise, wouldn't it be silly just to kneel down? It hurts. (laughs) You know, after a while, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, I got sciatica, man. It's no fun. Right? Where's Julia? (laughs) That's no fun. You know, and, 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 and so look, the, look, let's consider the posture he took and how that relates to being in his presence. Let's notice, fourthly, the parent that he acknowledged. It says, For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. That's wonderful, isn't it? And so what was he doing? He was acknowledging that the heavenly Father was Lord over him. And so he, in that prayer, acknowledged his Father in heaven. Now the model kingdom age prayer that is often quoted in uh, liturgical worship, we know as the Lord's Prayer, Our Father which... You know sabi English? Okay. Our Father which art... In heaven, all right? Some of you don't want to give up your Catholic roots, do you? <laughs> but I can see it in you. Okay? Some of you don't want to kneel down because you have flashbacks from, from the sisters at the convent, don't you? <laughs> and you had too many rulers across your knuckles. But, <laughs> Peter. <laughs> but listen, what, what I'm saying to you today is that he, he acknowledged 
God as Lord over him. And he prayed to God the Father while understanding that Jesus is the way to the Father. And listen, he understood that God is the Father of all who believe in him. That's what the Bible says, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. What is he talking about? After all, we are all God's children. Is that what it is? Are, are we all? After all, is everybody God's children? Yes or no? No. So stop listening to the rhetoric of the 6 o'clock news. Okay? And read the Bible. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 3... Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. The Bible says in John verse number uh, chapter 1 and verse number 12, uh, it says, But as many as received Him, to them gave He power to become the sons of God. So we only become a child of God by exercising faith in Him. And so God is the Father of all who believe on Him. Amen? So, he acknowledged that and he knew his heavenly Father to be loving and kind. To be loving and kind. I won't ask for a raise of hands, but I have no doubt that in this room, there are people that uh, probably lived in a home with a dad that wasn't always loving and kind. Praise the Lord if you did. But many of you didn't. And consequently, it has perhaps provided an obstacle to your understanding of how to relate to a Heavenly Father. Because you never related well to your earthly one. He was never too forgiving or loving. He was just always there ruling with an iron fist, telling you what to do. Never quite measuring up. But our Heavenly Father is good. He loves His children. And when you find a good father, and there are some of those, I know many of them in this room, we understand that as good as they are, there are none quite so good as our Father which art in heaven. I talk to people all the time that when we come into the middle of the year and we get towards Mother's Day, They didn't have a very good relationship with mom. It's not so special. Talk to folks in June who were kind of abused by their father. And it's not so special. But you know what I tell them? The Lord will be the greatest parent that you could ever dream of. He'll He'll be everything to your heart that your earthly parents could not be. Celebrate that. Celebrate the ideal of fatherhood and motherhood and strive to live up to that in your own experience. Celebrate that. You see, there was a parent that he acknowledged and it caused him to have a greater passion for God because he understood That his own father back in Tarsus would have turned his back on his own son because he renounced the Hebrew faith. And he turned to a supposed imposter named Jesus. But he had a father now 
that would never turn His back on Him. God, the Father, once turned His back on a son. It was the first time. And it was the last. And it was because that son named Jesus took your sin and mine, bore it on the cross of Calvary, and His Holy Father could not bear to look on the sin and the shame. And He turned away. Once. He's not going to do it on you. He's not going to do that on you. I'm so glad of that. Amen? Notice with me quickly, if you would please, the prayer that He offered, not only the prison that He utilized, and the problems that He faced, and the posture that He took, the parent that He acknowledged, but the prayer that He offered. In verse 16, that He would grant you according to the riches of His glory to be strengthened with might by His Spirit in the inner man. That Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height, and to know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. My friends, he offered a prayer (coughs) and it was that Christ would come home, that Christ would make His home in their heart by them exercising faith in Him. That Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. Where's that going to be? In the inner man, by His Spirit, in the inner man. When God comes to live in me, where does He live? My upper torso? where my heart is. Does He live in my cranium? Is that where God is? To reveal His will to me up there? Is that where He's wandering around up there? No. No, there's a part of you, because you have been made in the image of God, spirit, soul, and body. And you know where God comes into? Is it your body? Is He he living in my body? My body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. So that He can direct the movements of the Christ life through me. Okay? It's a temple of the Holy Spirit. But where does God live? Well, the Bible says that He may live in your heart. And you know what? That's in the inner man in my spirit. Little s, spirit. The big S, Holy Spirit, comes to my little s, spirit. And He lives there. In the inner man. That's what Peter calls in 1 Peter chapter 3, the hidden man of the heart. It's in my spirit. And so He comes to, to, to live within me and He prayed for their salvation that they would come to the full assurance of faith that they would know that they know that they know that they know that God lives in my heart. Now, Sometimes when we deal with children, we say, would you like to ask Jesus into your heart? And, you know, that sounds so very good. And people want to cite Revelation chapter 3 and verse 20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. How many of you had that pictorial Bible when you were a kid? And it had a picture of Jesus knocking on the door and Revelation 3.20 under it. And you, You know, you can make that fit, but that's not the interpretation of that passage. I am sorry to burst your bubble. We'll have crisis counselors available after the service. 
But look, we can, we can make that application. The Lord is knocking on the door of your heart. He wants to come in. And, and, and that's not wrong. But what I want to tell you is sometimes we tell kids that. And do you want to invite Jesus in your heart? And they're sitting there thinking, how, how does that big man get up inside of my heart? Because kids think literally, don't they? Yeah, they, do. they they don't understand the hidden man of the heart and little s spirit and big s spirit and all that. All that. just thinking, he's going to come inside of me. Okay, <laughs> you know, and and they think, well, you know, I I saw an alien movie last night on TV. Is it kind of like that? And uh, no, look, Christ will dwell in your heart, in your spirit, and He'll speak to you there. For it is God which worketh in you. Where? in your spirit, both to will, what's that, your soul, and to do of His good pleasure. What is that? That's your body. And which is the, is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Now friends, I want to tell you something. That He prayed that they would know that they know that they know that they know that God lives right here in the hidden man of my heart. And this, that God would enable them to comprehend His love for them. Can you imagine? It's really, we can comprehend that God loves us. Do you know that? How many of you know God loves you? Say amen. But if you can't say amen right there, you're in bad shape. Amen? And uh, so we, we can sing with gusto, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. And, and, and praise the Lord for it. But then, if I say, okay, tell me how much God loves you. And, and most of us would probably have an emoji response. This much, okay? And, and, and that'll get her done, right? We think, okay. And, and we'll, or we'll draw a picture that uh, when Jesus wanted to say how much He loved us, He opened His arms this wide. And, uh, and, you know, and, and that explains it. No, listen, I'm going to tell you something. There's a whole lot more to this and we have time to consider, so we won't. But I want you to see something if we could. And that is that it is something that we know, but we can't fully comprehend. Something that we know, but we can't fully comprehend. How many of you are like me? You know God loves you, but you don't understand why He would love somebody like you. You know why you feel that way? Because you know you. <laughs> and we're hoping that the rest of the folks in church don't. Because we got stuff that's hidden in the recesses of our hearts that if people found out about, they might not like us anymore. And so look, he offered this prayer that God would enable them to, to comprehend His love for them. And He prayed that they might be filled with all the fullness of God. I don't know about you, but this year as we consider that He's calling us into His presence, there ought to be times where we experience the fullness of God more than we ever have before. And I'm afraid many of us have never really truly experienced Him in His fullness. The prayer that He offered in I want you to see the passion that he experienced. The passion that he experienced. Are you hanging with me? We're, we're coming quickly to the end, so, so hang on for a landing in just a moment. But I, I want to say, <coughs> he said, I want you to know the love of Christ in verse 19, which passeth knowledge. What does that mean? 
It means it blows your mind. It'll blow your mind. It's so big, it's so vast. And I want to, I want to explain it like this. He experienced the love of God and it changed him forever. As he sat there and he felt the comfort of God. He listened to God. There were times where there were three times specifically in the ministry of Paul where he said the Lord stood with him. And God stood with him physically. He knew it. There were times God did the miraculous for him. Of course, we know that for three years while he was in Arabia, he sat at the feet of Jesus and learned the scriptures, learned the truth from God Himself. So he knew what it was to be in presence with the Lord. And there were times where the Lord ascended into heaven and He wasn't able to be there in physical presence and He sensed Him with just as much sense of awe and wonder as if the Lord were physically in front of Him. And He loved Him. And it was a multi-dimensional transcendent love. It went beyond the human dimensions to reach the divine. Let me tell you something. What does it say? In verse 18, look at this with me please. May be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and the length. The length, the breadth, the depth. You know what? That's three dimensions. That's what we live in. A three-dimensional world. So, normally, you can sum something if you know the breadth, if you know the length, and if you know the depth. And normally, if you have the depth of an object, this would be the depth. Then we say, well, well that's the length of it. That's the length of it. Is whatever the depth is, is the length. Is God being redundant here? When He said depth and length? No. It's something a little deeper. We desire, and Paul prayed, for this church to experience God in His fullness. And sometimes what we think is that in our three-dimensional world as we understand it, we want God to be so real in all of these dimensions. But what He said went far beyond the, uh, the breadth and the width and the, the depth. He said height. Because what it is is a fourth spiritual dimension. And how deep is that? It is higher than the heavens. It is deeper than the depths. And there is no end to the magnitude of God. What is the length of God's love? Well, my friends, it has a reach that reaches to every man. What is the breadth of God's love? It takes in every people group, no matter where you come from. Jesus loves the little children, all the children of the world. What is the depth? Well, uh, that is the, uh, the height of God's love. But then there's the height, and that is the divine love that could only be described as heavenly in another dimension that transcends all human understanding. And there has never been a love on this earth other than the love manifested in Jesus Christ Himself that can begin to approach unto the height 
of what he is talking about. And what it tells us is, it is an infinite love. It is an immeasurable love. It is a mind-blowing love that we perhaps in eternity will never be able to sum the depths of. But may I say this to you, it is God's love for you. It's for you. That's how much He loves you. The passion that He experienced, it was a multi-dimensional, transcendent love. And He wanted to lay a hold of it and embrace it. I think about what Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse number 8, Whom having not seen, you love. I like that verse later on in 1 Peter, I think it's verse 17 maybe, that, that talks about the angels. It says, uh, when talking about the relationship of God to man, and it says that the angels desire to look into it. Because we get to experience something that they never will. It is the height of God's love for us. And you know, I'm going to tell you, you don't love Jesus because you're a loving person. You're nice, I I like you, but can I tell you something? God didn't save you because you're loving. He didn't choose you because you're nice to everybody. In fact, I've discovered that God loves a whole lot of stinkers. Okay? I'd ask for a witness, but we'd be here all day. Okay. God loves you because He's love. And He chose you. And you know, that's why I love Him. Not because I'm loving. 1 John 4.19 says, We love Him because He first loved us. God is inviting you into a relationship with Him that will experience Him in His fullness the fullness of His love for you. That you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Lastly, the presence that He practiced. He knew that God had laid a hold of Him for a purpose. God had a purpose for Paul's life. He has a purpose for your life. And when he spoke to God believing, he knew that God was there and that He was listening. He experienced God in a loving relationship. And he wanted others to be able to experience it too. How many of you have ever been to a restaurant and you were, you were excited about it, you wanted to take somebody you love so they could experience it too? How many of you have ever had that? Okay. How many of you ever, uh, maybe you've been to a beautiful place on the earth for vacation and uh, you wanted to come home and take your kids there because it was so special and you knew it would be special to them too? Okay, you've done that. Maybe you remember how it was when you went to Disneyland the first time and now you have grandchildren and you want to take them and let them experience everything you did because it thrilled you then and you hope that it thrills them now. You know, Paul felt that way about the things of the Lord. He had such an intimate relationship with the Lord, he thought how terrible that people might hear of Jesus and never experience Him in the depths that I've had the joy of experiencing. And so I'm praying that that would be your experience. He said. I'm praying that that would be your experience. D.L. Moody is a man that was mightily used of God. He has an amazing testimony. 
God used him to shake two continents as Charles Haddon Spurgeon did. And he was, of course, someone who came from humble beginnings that God laid his hand upon. But as he was coming forward in his ministry and gaining prominence, if you read in his, in his biography, there was a day that he was walking through the streets of New York City and he was wrestling with the Lord. Struggling with some spiritual things. Trying to prepare his heart for an upcoming meeting that he was to have. As he walked through the city, it, he was impervious to everything that was going on around him and he was thinking only of what was going on within him spiritually. And he found his way to the house of a friend. And the friend welcomed him into the home and, and he sat down. The friend was preparing a meal offered for him to sit at dinner with them. And, and Mr. Moody said, I appreciate the offer, but really what I'd like is, do you have a room where I could just be alone with the Lord? And so the friend showed him to a room. And he began to pray and pour his heart out before the Lord. And say, God, I want to know You in Your fullness. I want to experience the fullness of God in my life. And he began to really do business with the Lord. And he had such an experience. God came over him in such a way he knew that he was in the very presence of God. And he cried out to God and he said, God, can you hold off a little bit? Because I don't believe I can take any more. God was there in such power and in such presence that he thought he might die if God bestowed more of His fullness upon him. He said, Lord, stay your hand. And from that moment in his life, he was never the same again. His ministry had an anointing and an unction that he had never known before. And God used him to reach millions. But it wasn't until he came to the place that he experienced the fullness of God in his life. My friend, you might sit there saying, well, I'm not a great revivalist or evangelist like D.L. Moody or Charles Spurgeon. No, but God has a plan for your life just the same. That God wants to reveal Himself to you in His fullness like He did to them. That God wants you to have an anointing on your life like He gave them. He wants you to sense Him in His presence like He did Brother Lawrence who found such joy that he spent his days cooking for orphans and helping homeless and laboring in rescue missions and in orphanages all while talking to God with joy. And people would see that and they would think, is he crazy? Is he on something? And he was in the presence of the Lord. You know, that's something I don't want to just read about. 
Paul sat in prison and he had a guard chained to him, but he was in the presence of the Lord. He was experiencing him in his fullness. And would to God we would come to the place where that is the passion of our heart to practice the very presence of the Lord, to know Him in His fullness. It's not just about knowing all this theological stuff up here. So if you know it and never experience it, who cares? God is here to be experienced. And He wants you to experience it with Him. Today, a prison prayer. Maybe you find yourself in a prison of your own creation. God ordained it so you could meet Him there. Lord God, may we so know You in Your fullness that we cry out for You to stay Your hand. Lord, I pray that if there be someone here today that has never come to know You by faith, that today would be the day of salvation for them. Our heads are bowed for just another moment. <coughs> Perhaps there's someone in the room that would say, Pastor Mark, I am not really sure that if I died right now, that I would go to heaven to be with the Lord. But I'm concerned about it. And I don't want you to embarrass me, but I would appreciate it if you would remember me in prayer. I would like to know that if I died right now, that all of my sins are forgiven, and that heaven is guaranteed for me. I'd like to know that. And if that's you today, I don't want to embarrass you, but I'd like to pray for you. And so, this afternoon, if you would say, Pastor, that's me. Pray for me. I wonder if you'd just slip your hand up where you are. No one is looking except me. I just want to pray for you. May I do that? I'll not embarrass you. Just slip it up and right back down, would you? Perhaps there's someone in the room then that would say, Pastor Mark, I know that, that I'm saved and on my way to heaven. I know that Christ is in my heart by faith. But I really am not experiencing Him like that in His fullness. And I want to. I want to come into His presence and know that He's there. I want to live with that reality every day. Pray for me. Here's my hand. Would you lift it up? God bless you. God bless you. Many hands. It will change your life. It will turn that prison into a rescue mission. In just a moment, we're going to sing a hymn of invitation. And when we do, whether you've lifted your hand or not, if you're not certain that you're on your way to heaven, I want to invite you to come. Let me have a counselor show you from the Bible how you can know that heaven is yours. Perhaps you're a believer and you would say, I know I'm, I'm saved by faith in Jesus, but I'm not experiencing the fullness of God in my life. and I just don't want to punch a clock and mark time. I want to experience God. And I want it to be in His fullness. And maybe you just want to kneel down and share it with Him. And say, God, what Paul was praying 
for the Ephesian believers to experience, that's me. I want that too. Maybe you just tell him. Lord God, I pray that in these moments that you would be glorified in our lives. Help us, we pray.